What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Martian MMA Podcast. I am your host, and my name is John, and we are back with episode 70, where we will be analyzing and predicting the UFC on ESPN 5 card going down this Saturday, August 3rd, 2019, headline by Colby Covington versus Robbie Lawler. This event takes place in Newark, New Jersey from the Prudential Center with the six-fight prelim card kicking off at 12 p.m. Eastern Time on ESPN and the six-fight main card kicking off at 3 p.m. Eastern Time also on ESPN. So all 12 of this weekend's fights will be on ESPN, the main cable channel. Looking at this card top to bottom, it's kind of an underwhelming card even by fight night standards, but when you realize that the UFC didn't even have a location for this event about six or seven weeks ago, it really explains why some of the matchups are a little bit lower level in this one. And all things considered, the UFC mustered up a pretty decent card on that short notice. So starting things off with the first of 12 fights, we are in the women's flyweight division where we have Mara Romero Barella, who is 12 and 5, taking on Lauren Murphy, who is 10 and 4. The opening betting line for this one was Barella minus 190, Murphy plus 150. Right now we are seeing minus 185, Barella plus 160, Murphy. So the line has stayed just about the same. There was actually some early action that came in on Murphy in this one right when the line came out, but it was quickly bet back down to minus 185 and hasn't moved much since. Kind of expected. It's a tough fight to bet. Uh, I do not really think there's much value on either fighter at this point. It's kind of a pass for me in the betting window, but I will do my best to break down how I think it's going to play out. So we'll start things off with Barella. I believe she is the better fighter of the two. She's had the more success in the UFC. She's coming off a victory over Atelia Santos, where she looked pretty good in that fight. And she also gave uh, Caitlin Chukagian a pretty tough fight where she hung in the kickboxing with Caitlin Chukagian, who's a really skilled kickboxer. She has a, a quick first-round submission over Kalindra Faria. So I would definitely say that Romero Barella's career in the UFC has been off to a better start. Murphy, she's been in the UFC for longer, but she's also lost way more fights. Uh, she is 2-5 and five in the UFC. Lost her most recent fight to Shajar Eubanks. She was thoroughly outstruck in that fight. She was taken down a few times. Uh, she just constantly moves backward. This is Murphy, and she doesn't really have much counter punching. So she's not the hardest, to, or she is a little hard to take down. She does have good takedown defense. Um, Eubanks did have some trouble getting her down, but eventually did get her down. Uh, Murphy tends to play like rubber guard and attack submissions off of her back, but isn't really too successful with them most of the time. I don't see them working here on Barella because Barella is a pretty high-level grappler. So on the feet, I think Barella will be pressuring Murphy. Uh, Murphy's going to be backing up and not really having an answer to counter with. So on the feet, I expect Barella to be the better striker. And... Once it gets to the ground, I expect Barella the one to be hitting takedowns. I see Barella hitting top position. Her top position is really good. Once she gets you to the ground, uh, I don't see Murphy getting up if that's the case. I, I see either Barella winning rounds uh, in top pressure using hitting big ground and pound or possibly even getting a submission on Murphy in this one. So wherever the fight goes, I'm pretty confident that Barella will be the one in control. And I'm going to pick Barella to get this one done. I'll go with just by decision because Murphy is tough. Uh, she is a bit crafty and she could uh, 
some, somehow pull this one off or last to the scorecards. But uh, the pick for this one is going to be Barella, and I agree where the line is set. The next fight is in the flyweight division. We have Matt Schnell, who is 13-4, taking on Jordan Espinosa, who is 14-5. The opening betting line for this one was Schnell minus 120, Espinosa minus 120. And right now we are seeing Espinosa minus 120, Schnell plus 100. So the fight opened to pick him. The early action came in on Espinosa. Matt Schnell actually went as high as plus 155 at one point, but then... Uh, money has steadily come in on Matt Schnell the past few weeks and pushed him down to actually a, a pick him again earlier in the week. But since then, a little more action has come back on Espinosa. So it's a really close fight. People are betting both sides in this one. And I really see why because both, guy, both guys have passed to victory. Um, and they're both are very high-level fighters. So I'm going to start with Schnell. Schnell has very nice boxing. He's got extremely fast hands. His defense isn't the best. He can eat a few shots when he's getting uh, a little emotional trading punches in there and that is why he has been knocked out a few times in the past uh, the fight that really worries me about Schnell is his fight uh, with Hector Sandoval where he was uh, put in bottom position and was knocked out with some kind of pitter-patter ground and pound it did not look like massive shots it it was kind of just some short punches and was able to uh, get the knockout on Schnell in that one he's also been knocked out by Rob Font but there's no shame in that loss Font is uh, a wicked striker. Uh, Schnell's really just found his home at uh, flyweight lately. He's three wins in a row, coming off the best win of his career against Luis Smolka, where he was outboxing Smolka in that one, got a nice body lock takedown, almost hit a guillotine on Smolka, but transitioned to a triangle and got a very nice submission in that one against Smolka, who is a, a sensational grappler of his own. I was actually picking Smolka to win that fight by submission, but to my surprise, Matt Schnell was the one who got the sub in that one. The fight before that, he showed good composure, good cardio, uh, outboxing Naoki Inoue to a decision. Really just won that fight with leg kicks, footwork, and just the better boxing of the two. So, uh, getting over to Espinosa, he's an orthodox fighter. He's got a lot of in-and-out movement. He's constantly bouncing around, throwing big blitzes of offense. He has good takedown defense. He's got good kicks. He's got some real power in his right hand. He had a very nice uh, Dars finish on the Tuesday Night Contender Series and uh, I believe the last minute of that fight. So he showed the ability to finish fights with uh, one minute to go after a tough back-and-forth fight. That was a, a competitive fight versus Durdo, though. He got hit with a lot of left hooks in that fight, and I'm, I'm really worried about Espinosa's boxing defense because he loads up on his strikes, and he's kind of predictable coming into the pocket, and he his defense is just not good when he comes in and in his last fight uh, it was a decision victory over Eric Shelton but uh, Trevor Whitman pointed out on the commentary how reckless Espinosa was coming into the pocket and I just really agree with him uh, he fights a little lackadaisical like he's constantly bouncing around he doesn't have good output uh, he's not the type to win rounds really I was actually kind of surprised he won that fight against Shelton because it was just such a close fight I could see the judges uh, easily giving it to Shelton but uh, 
he doesn't really have a good style for winning rounds. He he does have good power, and he could touch the chin of Schnell in this one, but I don't see it happening. I see Schnell actually being the one who is more likely to rock uh, Espinosa because when Espinosa is blitzing into the pocket, uh, throwing reckless combinations, I think Schnell is going to be counterpunching. He's going to be the better boxer, and I think that he has a good chance at knocking out or rocking Espinosa, maybe even get snatching up a submission if he has Espinosa rock. So... I'm liking Matt Schnell's chances in this fight because I think he will be the better boxer on the feet and that will lead to him winning the striking exchanges and I think he should be the better grappler as well. I think if if Schnell wants to hit offensive takedowns, he should be able to get Espinosa down. If Espinosa tries to hit takedowns, I think uh, Schnell will get back to his feet or attack subs off his back. He's really dangerous. So the way that Espinosa wins this fight is he's going to have to pressure Matt Schnell, get him on his back foot so his uh, his strikes and boxing isn't as effective and he's going to have to attack the legs of Schnell which Espinosa does do well he has a very nice oblique kick and so if Espinosa is attacking those leg kicks he's eliminating the ability of Schnell he has a chance at outstriking Schnell keeping this fight on the feet and landing the harder cleaner shots of the fight but I just don't see Espinosa being the type of guy to follow a disciplined game plan like that uh, I see Espinosa coming into the pocket recklessly, getting countered by Schnell, and Schnell either following up with the knockout or the submission. So I'm going to pick Matt Schnell to win inside the distance in this one. The next fight takes place in the welterweight division. We have Claudio Silva, who is 13-1, taking on Cole Williams, who is 11-1. The opening betting line for this one was Silva, the favorite, at minus 400 with Cole Williams the dog at plus 280. Since then more action has come in on the heavy favorite Silva pushing in to minus 440. Williams is now plus 350. No surprise here with Silva being the massive favorite. We got Cole Williams coming in here on short notice. It was supposed to be Claudio Silva versus Ramazan Amiv but instead Williams uh, is coming in here on short notice and he really does not look ready at all. There is very little footage of Cole Williams on the internet. I only found two of his full fights. One fight was against an opponent named John Kennedy where he, John Kennedy is 6-16 six first of all where uh, Williams got an easy takedown on him. Kennedy had no wrestling defense at all and Williams was able to just pound him out for the, the TKO victory in that fight. The second fight was a fight against a guy named Charlie Brown, I shit you not, and also another low-level opponent, 12-7 and uh, record, and Williams looked flabby in that fight. He was he had a gut on him. He didn't really have any muscles. It was a fight at 175, so he's going to have to cut some additional weight for this fight, and his activity is worrisome. He has only had five fights in the past eight years, has Cole Williams, so I really think he was the only guy uh, available maybe in the area at this time and they just needed a short notice replacement and they gave him the call and he just does not seem ready or worthy of being in the UFC at all. No disrespect to him. I'm sure he's a, a tough motherfucker and will come in here uh, game to fight Silva but I just do not think that he's going to have what it takes to come in here and knock out Silva because Silva is 
you know, actually a horrible fighter, to be honest. Like, he's his striking is terrible. He plots forward. His defense is non-existent. He gets tagged with punches nonstop. He gets hurt in almost all of his fights, but he, he's tough, man. I would give that to him. He is a zombie. He takes damage and keeps coming forward, keeps looking for takedowns, keeps looking for any type of uh, grip he can get on you. And when he does that, he's dangerous because his jujitsu is lethal. He's got incredible submissions and even if he's down and out even if he's on the verge of being knocked out he can still possibly get you in a submission or uh, attack a leg or get your back he's really got good submissions he was losing that fight to Nordin Taleb pretty heavily before he got finally got the takedown uh, took Taleb's back and got the choke in round one he was getting rocked repetitively versus uh, Danny Roberts, but Roberts was just stupid enough to follow him down to the floor every time and give Silva time to recover and attack subs. So Silva is beatable. He is very beatable. He is anybody with good striking and decent sub defense and decent IQ, unlike Danny Roberts, should be able to beat Silva because he's so easy to hit. He is pretty chinny at this point in his career. And even though I said his submissions are lethal, it's not end-all, be-all. He's not like a world-class jiu-jitsu guy. He's, you know, a, a, a good black belt. But Danny Roberts was escaping submissions left and right in their fight. And Roberts is... Uh, his his belt level is a purple belt, but he trains with uh, a great camp down in, in, in Florida with uh, Hard Knocks 365 and Henry Hooft. He's got incredible training partners, and he was ready for that matchup. He was defending the submissions, the arm bars, the um, guillotines, the arm triangles. So it's entirely possible that Williams, his sub-defense is game, and he is able to avoid the submissions and get the knockout on Silva, but I just don't think that's likely. I think Silva's going to come in here, pr probably uh, go for that desperate takedown that's not set up, maybe pull guard, get Williams down, and tap out Williams early. So the pick is going to be some Silva by submission. The next fight takes place in the lightweight division. We have Scott Holtzman, who is 12-3, taking on Dung Hyun Ma, who is 16-9-3. The opening betting line for this one was Holtzman minus 285, Ma plus 205. Right now we are seeing even more action come in on the favorite Holtzman, down to minus 440. Ma is now plus 350, so exact same line as the last fight coincidentally and i agree with the line movement in this one again and holtzman is a very solid fighter i will get into his skills later but it really has a lot to do with just fading dong hyun ma in this one uh, ma fought Devonte smith in his last fight and he just looked terrible he didn't commit to any strikes he looked tentative he looked like he really didn't want to fight too much the first strike he really committed to was uh, a telegraph leg kick that Devonte smith easily checked it hurt ma's leg he started limping he got countered with a one-two got rocked real bad and got swarmed with some punches and finished off for the tko so it was a pretty pathetic performance ma wasn't able to land a single strike really and smith put him out pr uh, pretty easily and smith is a good fighter he does have power in his hands and I think he's actually a better striker than Holtzman. So I'm not saying it's going to be quite as easy for Holtzman, but with how Ma looked in his last fight, uh, he did pick up a victory over Damian Brown not too long ago, uh, back in 2018. But that was a low-output, low-intensity kickboxing fight uh, against a guy, Damian Brown, who 
it's just not on the same level as Holtzman right now. Although Brown is a very solid fighter, I think Holtzman is just really getting into his prime. Even though he lost his last fight against Nick Lenz, that was a really really close fight. He could have gone either way. Uh, before that, picked up the best victory of his career against Alan Patrick, uh, finishing him off in round three, and that one as a big underdog. Holtzman's striking is pretty solid. He's got some power in his hands. He's got a very nice right kick that he goes to a lot, to the leg, to the body, to the head. He mixes it up very well. It's a very fast kick with no setup. His boxing defense isn't the best, but it, it should be solid enough to deal with Ma on the feet in this one. Uh, Ma can throw some power strikes from time to time. He's uh, famous for his crazy fight against Marco Pollo Reyes a, a few years ago. But outside of that, he really has had a, a lackluster UFC career. He has been taken down multiple times before. Uh, I'm looking back to his Dominic Steele fight in 2015. It was a long time ago, but he did not do well defending the takedowns of Dom Steele in that fight. He was slammed multiple times in that fight. He was eventually knocked out with a slam. He got smashed with ground and pound on his back. He couldn't get off his back in that one. So... If Holtzman is looking to pressure and look to get takedowns like he does against most of his fighters, I think he should win this fight easily. I don't see Ma being able to stop the takedowns or the pressure of Holtzman, and I see Holtzman dominating once he gets to the ground. But if the fight's on the feet, Ma does have a slight chance. He could lure Holtzman into a brawl, and he could touch the chin of Holtzman because Holtzman boxing defense would probably be uh, one of his biggest weaknesses. So... That is Ma's path to victory, although I do not give it a high chance of happening. I think Holtzman is too calculated and uh, too good of a fighter at this point to get drawn into a reckless brawl where he gets close, uh, get caught by one of uh, Dung Hyung Ma's uh, wild punches. So I'm going to pick Holtzman to pressure Ma, be attacking that leg kick, probably outstriking him on the feet, and then eventually setting up the takedowns and probably getting the finish somewhere along in rounds two or three versus Ma because... I just did not see any animosity, any intensity uh, in that fight from Devontae Smith. It looked like Ma just had no will to win, no will to throw anything hard in there. It, so he might be just grinding out fights in his contract to get a few more paychecks, but uh, I was really unimpressed with Ma's last performance. Uh, even though Holtzman lost his last fight, I'm still pretty high on the guy, so I'm pretty confident in Holtzman here, and that's why you're seeing that minus 440 price tag on his name. But where the uh, where the line's at now, it's going to be dog or pass. The next fight takes place in the middleweight division. We have Gerald Michart, who is 29 and 11, taking on Trevin Giles, who is 11 and 1. The open betting line for this one was Giles, the minus 125 favorite, Mearshart minus 115. Right now, we are seeing Giles minus 165, Mearshart plus 145. So much more action coming in on Giles here, and rightfully so, in my opinion. Uh, Gerald Mechart's fights kind of go the same way every single time. They're always super sloppy back and forth brawls. And he does have insane toughness. He does have, you know, an incredible chin. Uh, he gets rocked easily, but he's just hard to put away. He's been rocked in a lot of his fights, and he just takes damage and tires his opponents out, and he'll come back on you and, and defeat you. Well, he did that against Oscar Pachota, most notably. That was probably the most recent time that he did that. He had a very close decision versus Kevin Holland where he did not get the nod in that one. It was a fight that he could have won. He was hitting takedowns in that fight. It was a back-and-forth grappling fight where they were constantly going... Uh, 
up and down and top position and taking each other down and taking each other's back and getting mount. It was a, a very sloppy fight, but that was against a guy in Holland who also fights very lackadaisical. He does not have uh, high intensity in there. He has very lackluster takedown defense. He'll often let you take him down just because he's so confident in his bottom game. And it's a it was a blessing for Holland that he won that decision because I can't stand Kevin Holland, man. His fights are just so lackluster and he gets gifted the decision every single time i feel like it's happened a few times in a row but the one thing that worried me in that fight about mirshard is he looked so tired in at the start of round two he was so so tired i've never seen a guy in more agony on his face than he was i mean he did get caught in a choke fairly early in that fight and had to fight out of it and that could have you know fucked up his cardio but he just doesn't have good energy management. He swarms combos on the feet. He doesn't have much technique in his striking. He's got some good elbows, good knees, and he can uh, be effective in some brawling scenarios, but he's just too wild and too untechnical for me to really like him at plus 145. And getting over to Trevin Giles, not the most technical or highest IQ guy himself. He was winning his last fight uh, versus Zach Cummings, and he just got a little complacent, and he got rocked with the left hook. Uh, it was Actually, it was an overhand left. It was a big, massive overhand left from uh, Zach Cummings that he just you know, didn't see coming, unfortunately, even though he, uh, Cummings wound up on it, and it was a huge punch coming out of uh, left field. Uh, he got rocked, and then he got his neck snatched, and he got guillotined with about a minute left in that fight. He was probably up two rounds, probably on his way to winning the third round, honestly. Uh, but he just really just didn't pay enough respect to Cummins, and he paid the ultimate price. Uh, Giles can hit his own double-leg takedowns. He took down uh, James Bochnovich. He avoided submissions. Uh, actually, was it Bochnovich or was it Bohan Velokovic? Yeah, it was James Bochnovich. So he avoided the, the submissions of James Bochnovich. He was able to smash uh, Bochnovich on the ground and get the, the TKO from top position. On the feet, Giles has very solid boxing. He was lighting Braga Neto up with punches, has a really nice jab, uh, has a really good one-two. And he in that fight, he used his energy efficiently he didn't gas himself out he respected his opponent the entire time and he got the finish and he didn't do that against Cummins coming off of that long layoff and he like I said earlier he paid the ultimate price with getting his first loss in that fight so despite Giles having that slip up in his last fight uh, I still think that he will be uh, good enough to win this fight in this spot on the feet, Giles should be lighting Mearshard up, just jabbing his face off and outstriking him. I think Giles has the takedown defense and uh, the solid enough wrestling base to avoid the takedowns of Mearshard. If he does get taken down, though, it, that's when it gets interesting because Mearshard's path to victory is on the floor. Once the fight gets to the floor and if Mearshard's in top position, he has a great chance of winning the fight. He has really good submissions. He can take uh, his opponents back very well and possibly get the rear naked choke. And Giles has been taken down before versus Ryan Spann. He got his back taken for a few minutes in that fight. But he was able to escape the position. He was able to land solid ground to pound and actually steal the round back from Spann. Uh, and he did make a, uh, another bit of a, a slip up when he went for the takedown in that fight against Spann. He left his neck out and almost got guillotined, but it once more escaped the guillotine in that one. And he was able to just outgrind 
span in round three, defend the takedowns, end in top position, and win the decision versus span in that one. So I honestly think that that's how this fight will go. Very similar to the Ryan Span versus Trevin Giles fight from a few years ago, where Span will be hitting takedowns on Giles. He will be putting Giles in bad positions, you uh, maybe taking his back or putting him in guillotines. But Giles is going to defend and he's going to land big ground and pound and he's going to make uh, Mearshart pay for going for the submission attempts. And it should be a real close fight. It should be a, a battle of who can get top position. Uh, when Mirshard's going for the takedowns, but I think Giles is solid enough and is uh, good enough defensively on the ground to avoid the uh, the desperate t attempts from Mirshard, and I'm going to pick Giles to win uh, by decision in this one. But it would not surprise me at all if Mirshard is able to capitalize on a mistake from Giles and in top position, ride out rounds, win rounds, and get the decision, or possibly uh, tap out Giles again. So I would not pay chalk for Giles as a favorite in this one. Uh, I would like to see Mearshard around plus 150 or higher. I mean, I, I guess you can you can bet on Mearshard at plus 145. The value side is definitely on Mearshard, but I just don't trust the guy with my money at this point. He's a little too lackadaisical and sloppy uh, for me to uh, pick him, and uh, even as that plus 145 underdog. If he got up to plus 170 or higher, I would say that there's a little bit of value on him for personally, but uh, where the fight's at now, it's going to be a pass on both ends for me. The next fight takes place in the women's flyweight division. We have Antonina Shevchenko, who is 7-1, taking on Lucy Pudalova, who is 8-4. The opening betting line for this one was Shevchenko, the favorite, at minus 230, Pudalova plus 170. Right now, we are seeing Shevchenko minus 135, Pudalova plus 115, so... A ton of action has come in on Lucy Pudilova's way. The early action came in on Pudilova, and then some more action came back the favorite's way, and it was uh, Pudilova was hovering around plus 150 or higher for a few weeks. But for the past week, steady money has come in on Pudilova, and I agree with the line movement in this one. Where the line's at now, I think that it's favored or pass because I, I will outline why I think uh, Shevchenko has the advantage. But I'm just going to go over their strengths and weaknesses real quick. Shevchenko, uh, obviously the sister of Valentina, has a, a much longer frame. She's uh, older than Valentina. I think she's uh, getting up there in age, man. Like 36, 37 years old for uh, Antonina in this one. So... Uh, and her last fight was her first professional loss. It was against Roxanne Modafferi, who is uh, one of the more unathletic, uh, less technical fighters in the division. And she was just unable to avoid the takedowns in that fight. Was put on her back, not able to reverse position frequent enough. She was outstriking Roxanne on the feet, but when it came to the takedowns, she just could not stop Modafferi's grappling and lost that fight due to it. So luckily for Shevchenko, Pudilova is not much of the offensive grappler, although she has been working on her defensive grappling for uh, her past few fights. That has been her weakness in the past. That's what she lost her most recent fights to Liz Carmouche for. So you got to think that uh, Pudilova has been working a lot on her wrestling, and she might see Shevchenko's weakness on the ground and look to hit her own offensive takedowns for, uh, I believe, the first time in the UFC. Most of her fights have been contested on the feet. Uh, 
getting back over to Shevchenko real quick, she is um, not the greatest boxer. She really specializes in kicks and the clinch. Her clinch is so, so good. She comes from that Muay Thai background. She's strong and technical in the clinch, and she throws good knees, good elbows in the clinch, and she, her, a lot of the women she fight have trouble defending and getting it out of that clinch and really just get brutalized uh, once Shevchenko gets that tie plum. Uh, it's really only in the grappling that Shevchenko has problems and probably in the boxing as well. But I don't think Pudilova's uh, boxing is is quite good enough to give her a, a lot of problems. I mean, Pudilova does have solid boxing. She's got a good jab. Uh, she's got good defense. She's got good kicks, high output, good cardio. She's had that uh, iconic fight against Irina Aldana where it was just a 15 minutes non-stop kickboxing fight where they were punching each other in the nose non-stop and kicking each other's legs so, in my opinion the best women's MMA fight of all time and uh, Pudilova was a, a huge part in that she you know if she wasn't a, a, a tough game opponent that fight wouldn't have been possible so I can see Pudilova's jab giving Shevchenko some problems because they're both longer women and they're going to be looking to out jab each other um, so if this fight stays at range, uh, I think a Pudilova actually will win as long as it stays at kicking range because uh, I think that she can use her kicks effectively. She will be able to mix up her punches a little bit better, and she might even have that threat of the offensive takedown. But in the clinch, I'm going to give a clear advantage to Shevchenko in this one. Pudilova has struggled in the clinch. She did so versus Carmouche. It was a little bit different type of a clinch because Carmouche was more so going for takedowns. But I think that uh, once Shevchenko clinches up with Pudilova, then Shevchenko will start to win rounds. So it's a really, really close fight. It's it's almost a 50-50 type of fight. I would say 55-45 in favor of Shevchenko. So for all the people who got in on that action on Pudilova above plus one, 130 i would say congrats to you because that is a good snipe it's a good line but where the line's at now i do not think there's much value left on pudilova i think it should be a razor close fight it should really come down to um obviously who can implement their game plan shevchenko is going to be looking to clinch up and do work with the knees and elbows avoid the takedowns and look to probably uh outstrike pudilova at range too but i think that Pudilova is going to surprise Shevchenko and is going to be way more competitive at range than Shevchenko expects. So uh, I think Pudilova has the higher ceiling at this point in her career because Shevchenko has been quite inactive throughout her MMA career. She is uh, getting up there in age and she's kind of in the shadow of Valentina her entire career. Uh, I imagine all the training that she really gets is kind of maybe 30-40% focused on her and 60-70% focused on her, this, her sister Valentina uh, who's the much better fighter. It's kind of an irrelevant narrative that I'm bringing up but um, I just um, what I'm bringing up is I don't trust Shevchenko enough to lay uh, the chalk on her even even at this price of minus 135. It would be a pass on both ends. I expect this one to be a really competitive fight. I'm looking forward to it. It should be a high level women's striking affair and uh, I'm going to slightly lean with the clinch game of Shevchenko to uh, be able to win the rounds and uh, get the decision versus Pudilova in this one. The next fight takes place in the welterweight division. We have Mickey Gall who is 5-2 taking on Salim Tuhari who is 10-3. The opening betting line for this one was Mickey Gall the favorite at minus 190, Salim Tuhari plus 150. Right now we are seeing Gall plus 105 to Hari minus 125. So the line has flipped surprisingly. 
a lot of action coming in on Salim Tuhari's way, and I'm, I'm going to disagree with the line movement in this one. I have no idea where this line movement is coming from. I actually do have an idea, but I, I'm, I think it's wrong. I think people are just fading Mickey Gall. They are seeing, even though he was minus 300 last fight versus Diego Sanchez, people were... You know, as uh, as Daniel Levy on Twitter said it, people were rushing to the betting windows to lay that chalk on uh, Mickey Gall versus the, the veteran Diego Sanchez. And now all of a sudden he's fighting Tuhari, who's 0-2 in the UFC, has looked pretty unimpressive in his two fights. And all of a sudden he's the dog again. So I think that Styles make fights, and I think that Gall has a, a solid advantage in this fight because... Tuhari has just looked so lackluster in his UFC career. He is 0-2. He fought versus uh, Warley Alves and versus Kita Nakamura, and he lost both of those fights in low output, low intensity decisions. Uh, I love using that term because it de- it defines a lot of fights where guys aren't trying to knock each other out. They're not trying to go out there and prove a statement. They're not trying to hurt their opponent it seems like it was like too hard was just point fighting in those fights and was content to lose he actually got dropped by left hook versus kita nakamura and nakamura is not a power striker at all so i'm really just worried about Tuhari's uh output and this point in his career he seems like a, a solid fighter overall he looked pretty good on the uh on the uh the regional scene before he came to the ufc but since he's come to the ufc he hasn't shown anything that he that he's capable of winning a fight even if it's against a lower level opponent like mickey gall uh, let's go over some of Mickey Gall's you know, strengths and weaknesses. He's a very uncomfortable striker. He kind of just wings punches on the feet, just marches forward and throws bombs and not really effective bombs. And he swarmed Diego Sanchez early, was trying to get him out of there, but wasn't able to do so. Maybe hit him with a few good shots, but really couldn't rock Sanchez. And then just had a huge adrenaline dump. He, he gassed out hard. He started getting taken down, getting smashed from bottom position, and eventually was TKO'd in round two of that fight and you know Mickey Gall is a very high level grappler but off of his back he is really ineffective he he has trouble getting off of his back he's great from top position he can hit uh, a good offensive takedown he can take your back he's got very good rear naked chokes but when he's in bottom he's almost worthless and if you look at the guys that he's choked out in the UFC so far I think there's been three of them right and it has been CM Punk Mike Jackson and George Sullivan. Oh, and Sage Northcutt. So Northcutt being his his best win in MMA so far is is not a good sign. Uh, it's a huge sign of worry, and that's why people are betting on Slim Tuhari in this one. But uh, from what I've seen too hard, I just don't think that he's going to be able to stop the takedown from Gall in this one. I think that, uh, or no, I don't think that. I saw too hard get single leg takedown uh, by uh, Baziet in his fight before the UFC. He spent a, a few minutes on his back, didn't really have an answer getting off of his back, but luckily the referee stood them up uh, for inactivity, and he was able to knock out uh, Baziet with a counter left hook shortly after. So the referee kind of saved him in that one, but he was taken down by a single leg in that one and uh, didn't have an answer to get off of his back. So I think that Gall will be able to take him down, and I think Gall will probably get on the back and get one of his rear naked chokes. And it's not a super confident pick because... Because both of these guys are level, lower level opponents. Tuhari looked 
better on the regionals and just hasn't really shown his skills yet in the UFC and he could come out here much improved and really show off uh, his full arsenal that he hasn't gotten to show yet but I'm gonna side with Gall so far I think he's the more UFC tested guy he's obviously got the the victories in the UFC despite them being over low level competition I think that, that this is a good matchup for Gall they're trying to get him back on track because uh, they know he's got a little bit of star power behind him because he's been in the limelight with those those punk fights and everything and Tuhari, he went 0-2. He looked terrible in both of those fights. I really don't see another reason to give him another fight unless they're looking to um, benefit another fighter off of a loss from Tuhari. So I think that's kind of what the UFC is doing in this one. They're giving uh, one more uh, chance for Tuhari. And I wouldn't totally rule out some meme outcome like Tuhari knocking out Gall or it being uh, a low output kickboxing decision like Tuhari's fights tend to be. But uh, I'm pretty confident that uh, Mickey Gall will get the takedown and get the choke in this one. Moving on to the main card of the afternoon in the light heavyweight division, we have Darko Stosik, who is 13-2, taking on Kennedy and Zeshiku, who is 6-1. The opening betting line for this one was Stosik, the favorite, at minus 130 with Nzechiku minus 110. Right now we are seeing Stosik minus 130 and Zechiku plus 110. So two-way action coming in on this fight. Uh, a little bit more action on Stosik's way, and I agree with the line movement. Uh, for Well, the line hasn't moved too much, but I agree with the more money coming in on Stosik's way. And it really comes down to Enzechiku just being uh, a pretty bad fighter at this point in his career. He fought on the Tuesday Night Contender Series a while back. He was dropped uh, versus Anton Burzin, was almost submitted with a dart choke in that one, but he used both of his hands to grab on the Burzin's shorts and used an illegal move and was able to escape the choke in that one. Otherwise, I think he honestly would have tapped out. And uh, Burzin gassed out a little bit, and Nzechiku came back and won round two and three for that decision. Didn't get signed, won a few fights on the regionals and came back. Uh, on the contender series and won a fight um, via knockout had a nice left head kick knockout in that one uh, but his UFC debut against Craig, uh, Paul Craig was one of the worst losses that you could ever imagine uh, where Craig was just desperately pulling guard and shooting sloppy takedowns and, and Zechiku just couldn't avoid the ground with Craig he was getting pulled into the guard he was getting taken down um just a really bad performance from Nzechiku, was put in a deep arm bar in round one, was not able to stuff the shots and, and, uh, and sloppy attempts from Craig, and in round three, after probably being up on the scorecards, but really not doing any much effective damage, he was scissor sweeped once, almost put in a triangle, was able to escape, and Paul Craig did the exact same move, scissor swept him and triangle choked him, and got the tap out in the 14th minute of the fight, a uh, very Paul Craig-esque win and it was just a terrible terrible loss from Nzechiku so on the feet Nzechiku's got some decent punches he's got a nice left head kick but he's a bit chinny he can be dropped uh, and his takedown defense in his ground game is just uh, very very poor getting over to Darko Stosik he's a very short muscular guy uh, has had two fights in the UFC so far one was very defensive and tentative versus Kimball just waiting for Kimball to make a mistake 
Kimball eventually did make that mistake, uh, Stosic reverse position, and just pounded him out for an easy ground and pound. I hear some people say that uh, Stosic was losing that fight, but Kimball wasn't doing shit. Stosic was was literally just waiting for Kimball to make his own mistake. Stosic didn't even have to do anything. Kimball was just bound to fuck up, which he did, and Stosic won. So Stosic's got some very powerful leg kicks, uh, and he's got some decent takedown defense. He's got good get-ups. Uh, he's got, he digs a real strong underhook, uh, like he did versus Devin Clark. That fight versus Clark, though, it, it, it worried me. He was too willing to swing wild combinations on the feet. He looked very uncoordinated, uh, when he was, uh, swinging those wild combinations. It was actually dropped a few times versus Devin Clark. So, his, he could be a bit chinny. He might have uh, some suspect boxing defense, and he was eventually taken down by uh, by Clark in that one. Uh, he did get back up and didn't really let Clark dominate uh, the position too much. But in round three, he just had too low output and didn't do enough and lost that round. Probably lost rounds one and three and lost that decision versus Dev Clark. But a close fight. So. Getting down to it, on the feet, uh, I don't see Nzechuku having the power to stop Stosik from coming forward. But Stosik doesn't always come forward. Sometimes he can be uh, too too tentative and he can not throw enough. So if Stosik pressures and has solid output, he should win this fight. Uh, but if he stays at range and tries to point fight and kickbox, that's when he opens up Nzechuku's uh, path to victory. And Nzechuku is just going to uh, look to avoid the takedown, keep the fight on the feet, and look to outstrike Sostick at range. But both of these guys aren't very high level. They both struggle on the ground. But if the fight goes to the floor, I, I see Stosik being the one hitting the takedowns. He could look to exploit that that bad ground game of uh, Nzechuku, put uh, Nzechuku on his back, and look to knock him out with some ground to pound. But, um, you know, I'm, I don't have a super confident pick in this one. I will style with Stosik. He st seems to be the more well-rounded. He fought the better competition. Uh, he's got the, the, the ground game. He, he doesn't have as glaring holes in his game like Nzechuku does. So, um it's mostly a fade on Nzechuku, not very confident in Stosik because he has had a bit of a shaky UFC career uh, so far as well. So uh, stay, stay very weary of this fight. Uh, it's a low-level competition and anything could happen. So uh, the, the pick is going to be Stosik to get it done by decision, but not a confident one at all. The next fight takes place in the women's flyweight division. We have Hannah Goldie, who is 5-0, taking on Miranda Granger, who is 6-0. The opening betting line for this one was Goldie minus 130, Granger minus 110. Right now we are seeing Goldie minus 150, Granger plus 130. So both women making their UFC debuts in this one, and both women are moving up from the 115-pound weight class. They're both going up at 10 pounds in weight, and that actually favors um, Goldie a little bit more because Granger uh, is going to be the smaller woman because Goldie is super muscular. She's absolutely jacked, and she has fought at 125 before. While I do not believe that Miranda Granger has, I believe that all of her fights have taken place at 115 pounds. Uh, might be wrong about that, but I'm almost positive that, that is the case. So, when it comes to size and strength, I expect Goldie to uh, have that advantage in this matchup, and I also expect Goldie to have the boxing advantage in this one because. 
it's not because uh, Granger's boxing isn't isn't good, and it's not like her defense is, is bad. It's just because she doesn't really throw many punches. I noticed that when watching her fights, she really likes kicking. She comes from a Muay Thai base, and in Muay Thai, they do favor kicks, clinching, knees, elbows over punches. Um, and she really carries that style over to her MMA fights. Uh, Granger really just likes to uh, kick, stay outside in range, and clinch. She's really good in the clinch. And I think that Granger, even though she will be out-muscled in this one, can out-technique Goldie in the clinch. And the thing about the clinch is it might look like you can explode out of there or you can muscle your way out, but a good technique in the clinch, you're going to be eating elbows, you're going to be stuck in there, eating knees to the body, and it's very hard to escape that Muay Thai clinch if you've never been in one personally. So uh, Granger is uh, also pretty solid in the submission aspect of things a lot of her wins have come by way of submission she's got a good guillotine on the feet she's uh clinched up uh, amy montenegro uh, against the cage and uh, couldn't get the takedown wasn't getting taken on herself it was kind of a back and forth clinch battle on the cage and she just snatched that guillotine from her feet and got the submission in that one uh she uh took jamie colleen down or she was actually, no, uh, she was taken down by Jamie Colleen with a single leg takedown, but her guard is super flexible, and she was able to snatch an armbar off of her back, and her last fight was scheduled for five five-minute rounds, but she got the fight over with quickly. She made quick work of her opponent. She got a trip takedown in the clinch, and once again, snatched that guillotine and got the submission. So a lot of Granger's victories are coming by way of submission, even though I believe she does come from a Muay Thai background. Uh, the one thing I will say worries me about Granger is that uh, she has not fought past the 8 or 9 minute mark in her entire career. She fought 9 minutes on the amateurs, but the longest pro fight that she had was an 8 minute fight. Uh, she did win that one, and she won it pretty dominantly. So I don't think that Granger has really been tested. I don't think she's fought an opponent who uh, really gave her a tough time yet. Um, and uh, Goldie has uh, had... She hasn't really faced a uh, high-level competition either. Like She hasn't uh, been losing fights and come back before, but she has fought the full 15 minutes before. She was on Tuesday Night Contender Series against uh, Robbins, who looked like a solid opponent, and definitely gave her a tough outing in that one. So uh, Goldie, um, she throws a lot of lead leg kicks, and I don't really like that too much. She kind of just flicks the kicks out there. She's circling, circling, good footwork, good movement, but she throws too many weak kicks. Like She needs to sit down on her kicks and really make sure she means it because what I noticed about Goldie is her boxing defense is not very good. It does not look like she likes being hit very much or she's used to being hit. She kind of pulls her head straight back and doesn't have good uh, defense, doesn't really slip punches or block punches too well. She kind of just takes him on the chin or tries to pull her head back, which is a very, very bad habit to have. So uh, on the feet in this one, I think it's going to be a really close fight. I think that they're both going to be leg kicking each other. I don't expect to see too much boxing because neither of them seem too, box, uh, too comfortable in the boxing range. Uh, I really think that Granger should be the better fighter everywhere because I think her clinch on the on the feet is going to be the difference maker in this one. I think that she is <clears throat> overall the more technical striker, but when that clinch comes into play, I think that it's really going to create a big gap on the feet for Granger. And uh, I think Granger can also hit offensive takedowns, and she can possibly get a submission in this one because in Goldie's t uh, fight on. 
in the Tuesday Night Contender Series, she was taken down uh, from a body lock clinch and almost got her back taken by Robbins in that one. And she was able to quickly uh, reverse position and get back to her feet and avoid the back take, but it was a risky position. And if Granger was in that same position that Robbins was, I think Granger would have got the hooks in and would have threatened with a rear naked choke. So... Neither of these women have lost a fight. Uh, Goldie does have one amateur loss, but I watched that fight just now, and uh, she won that fight, in my opinion. I don't know what the judges were watching. So we got two undefeated women making their UFC debuts. They're going up in weight class. They both have very well-rounded games. Uh, I think Granger is the slightly better fighter. I think the clinch is going to make a big difference in this one. And I think that uh, the takedowns will also make a big difference in Granger's favor. The way that Goldie wins this fight is she uses the better her better boxing. I think she will uh, be the better boxer of the two. She uh, just has more more pop behind her punches and she will be stronger and she could try to make that use that to her advantage and she definitely will have the cardio at advantage because she has fought the full 15 minutes she has fought on the contender series that's a little bit more of a, a high pressure atmosphere than cffc where granger is coming over from but both of these women are ufc ready i'm really happy the ufc added this fight uh, to the car i'm really looking forward to it because it's really a close matchup i'm siding with the dog granger and i think we'll actually end up on, on granger at plus 130 for one unit because i cap it as a 50 50 type of fight so if uh they're saying that that her chances are 100 divided by 230 44 percent i disagree with that it's 50 50 so the uh the value is on Granger, and my pick is going to be Granger to win by submission. The next fight takes place in the lightweight division. We have Joaquim Silva, who is 11-1, taking on Nasrat Hakarpast, who is 10-2. The opening betting line for this one was Nasrat, the favorite, at minus 230, Silva plus 170. Right now, we are seeing Hakarpast minus 255, Silva plus 215 so uh, i'm going to call him nasrat just because i think that hakarpast is a really hard word to pronounce so uh getting down to this matchup it's it's a really wicked matchup i, I can't wait to see this fight play out both of these guys are super legit fighters they're both well-rounded uh i would give the striking age to this one uh to hakarpast because he is uh Southpaw with some really good boxing. He's got incredibly fast hands. He's the mini Kelvin Gastelum, as many people call him. Um, because I honestly think that Hakarpas's striking might be a little bit better than uh, Gastelum's. Gastelum really just has better power and better accuracy. But when it comes to footwork and cutting off the cage, pressure, output, volume, I think Hakarpas actually beats Kelvin Gastelum. It's kind of a superficial correlation I'm making here. But the one thing that I wish uh, Hakarpas had a little more of was power, and it seems like uh, he lacks a little bit of power in his strikes because he was clearly outstriking Thea Bugatti the entire fight, uh, the entire 15 minutes of that fight. He had Gotti hurt. He had Gotti uh, gassed out, and he just couldn't finish him. It was insane toughness by Thea Bugatti in that one. And I kind of, uh, I've had this thought about Hakarpas' power for a while. And I remember in that fight, I actually bet on not Hakarpas inside the distance. So I was. Uh, I was worried about the bet beforehand. I knew that Gotti was going to be outgunned, and I knew that he was probably going to lose the fight. I just wanted Gotti to survive, and I swear, around the sec the first or second round, I thought the bet was toast, but miraculously, Gotti survived 
the full 15 minutes and did not get finished. So uh, Hawker Pass, his uh, only UFC loss has come by the way of Marching Held, and he was outboxing Mar- uh, Held in that fight, but Held was just relentless with the takedown, finally got the takedown, and then once the fight got to the floor, Held was just able to outgrapple Hawker Pass, and that's no no shame in uh, that for, for Nasrat because Held is a world-class cra- grappler. And his jujitsu is is really insane. I don't think that Held's jujitsu has been as well adapted to MMA as most fighters, though. I actually think that uh, Joaquim Neto BJJ Silva's uh, jujitsu might be a little bit better uh, suited for MMA than uh, Marching Held's. So. Uh, Hakarpas was competitive in the grappling versus Held. He uh, defended some some ankle attempts, uh, some leg lock attempts from Held. He was able to scramble back to his feet, but he was just one step behind Held. Held was just uh, holding on to him and would not let Las- uh, Nasrat uh, free. Um, and I think that that's going to be where Silva uh, has the biggest advantage in this fight, and that's going to be the ground because Silva does come from that jiu-jitsu background, but he's really uh, fallen in love with the striking. His orthodox boxing is pretty solid, honestly. He he does get hit a little bit too much. His boxing defense isn't the best. He was rocked a few times versus Jared Gordon, but this dude's got a chin on him because he keeps coming forward. He he recovered quickly from those, those, uh, those times he got rocked by Gordon in round one and actually came back and landed an overhand right and flying knee to close the round versus Gordon and really evened up that round. Gordon was winning the first four minutes or so of that round. Then Silva came back and was able to land the flying knee and make it competitive. It could have been a 10-10 round. He could have even stolen the round. I would actually probably give round one 10-10 because Gordon was winning the first four minutes of it, but uh, uh, Silva came back and was, was almost had the fight finished at the end if i had had to give one fighter 10-9 that round it would be gordon because he won the more uh the the a lot more time of the round round two of that fight versus gordon silva's most recent fight it was uh another close round he was uh stuffing takedowns in round two but still getting outstruck a little bit and in the last 30 seconds uh silva blasted a double a takedown got gordon on the on his back and got a tight knee bar locked in and that thing was totally locked in it was on the way to tearing gordon's knee to shreds but gordon just toughed it out to the end of the round and Again, another close round where you could give the round 10-10 because uh, Gordon was controlling the first four minutes and then Silva came back the last minute and was close to finishing the fight. If I had to give that round 10-9 to someone, it would be Silva. So round three, they were just trading punches, standing and trading, just going back and forth, just absolute haymakers thrown at back and forth at each other. It was a crazy, crazy fight, insane round, and... Silva just bit down on the mouthpiece and traded and was able to hurt Jared Gordon and get the knockout in round three. Honestly, one of the best fights of 2018, one of the most underrated fights, and that's why I spent the past you know minute or two going over it because it was such a back-and-forth close fight, and I think that there's a lot of similarities between this fight, and I think... Uh, like like Jared Gordon, I think Hakarpas will be the better boxer of the two. He should be outstriking Silva. He should be lighting Silva up on the feet. But Silva is dangerous. He has huge power in his hands. He's got explosive kicks and flying knees and all types of crazy offense. And he can hurt you at any time. So with Hakarpas having that uh, that lack of power, I think that that's, that's why Silva's always going to be dangerous. He's always going to be... Uh, 
there to counter possibly and uh rock nasra and he's going to have the advantage on the ground so it really comes down to if silva pursues the takedown if if silva chases that takedown and goes for the submission he knows that his advantage is on the ground in this one i think that silva wins the fight i think that he will probably get the submission on nasra if he's able to get the takedown and uh keep uh keep Nasrat down I think that Silva could possibly possibly get a, a knee bar or, or leg lock like similar to he, the one he landed on Jared Gordon because uh, Nasrat ended in a lot of leg lock and positions versus marching held now you got to think that if held the, the skilled leg locker that he is if he wasn't able to finish the leg lock versus uh, Nasrat then you got to think that Silva won't be able to either but I, Silva's just a, a, such an opportunistic finisher he has a, a crazy will to win and uh, the way I see this fight going is either Silva inside the distance or Nasrat decision so Silva is always going to be there to, to rock Nasrat with a punch possibly knock him out or or rock him and get the submission try to take him down and get the submission he doesn't really have the style to win rounds because he's a little bit low output uh and the other alternative solution the more likely solution would probably be nasrat keeping the fight standing stuffing the takedowns of silva avoiding the power shot and just proceeding to outbox and light kick silva chop him down and uh, probably light silva up maybe even get a, a late finish so the pick is going to be Nasra, but where the value is at, I think that it's on Silva. And uh, like I said, I don't think Silva has that style to win the round. So the the real bet I'm, I'm looking at this one uh, is Nasrat inside the distance. And it's a crazy, crazy line, honestly. Uh, I think it was plus 517 last time. Plus 650 Nasrat inside the distance. That's that's clear clear value uh i would you know that's just value bet all day so um that's uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna side with with joaquin silva honestly i'm gonna i'm gonna believe because i'm, I'm betting on him inside the distance i'm gonna believe just because uh that's more fun to cheer along that way and i think that he does have the power and does have the submissions to possibly pull this one off so uh, i'm gonna side with the the big underdog joaquin silva to pull off the upset the next fight, the co-main event of the evening, we have in the lightweight division, Clay Guida, who is 35 and 18, taking on Jim Miller, who is 30 and 13. The opening betting line was Jim Miller minus 185, Clay Guida plus 145. Right now, we are seeing Miller minus 155, Guida minus, or excuse me, plus 135. So a little bit more action coming in Guida's way in this one. And I understand it because where the line was set for Miller minus 185 was a little bit wide, but uh, I like Miller's chances in this fight. And uh, so going, starting off with Guida, he, he does. He's been a notorious guy in the UFC for over a decade. He was once famous for his pressure and his wrestling and his. Uh, but he's really kind of straight away from that style a lot in the past he he still does pressure he still does very aggressive and is constantly coming forward eating punches but he's really just boxing centric now his boxing has got a lot a lot better he was coming off that knockout versus joe lozon very impressive victory in that one he had a pretty bad performance against charles Oliveira, where he um Oliveira threw some crazy barrage of punches. Guida shelled up and went for some desperate takedown. And Charles Oliveira just snatched his neck easily and tapped him out in round one. And the really worrisome performance about Guida is versus BJ Penn. His last fight where he won the fight versus BJ Penn pretty decisively. It was a, a, a dominant decision for Guida. 
I wouldn't say dominant. I would say it was a decisive decision, but it wasn't dominant. Like he wouldn't, he didn't dominate like I expected. Penn, BJ Penn actually landed a lot of punches on Clay Guido because Guido just constantly moves forward. He doesn't move his head much, and he's just there to be hit. And Penn was jabbing him up. He was landing a few right hands and. He made the fight a lot closer than it had to be. Guida did not have the killer instinct to, to get BJ out of there. He had BJ hurt a few times. Maybe he was taking it easy on him because BJ is a legend, uh, and he didn't want to, you know, knock him out. But that's a that's a stupid, terrible excuse. Because let me tell you something. Jim Miller is a legend too. I'm sure these guys have a lot of respect for each other. It's pretty crazy that they haven't fought before, honestly. I wouldn't be surprised if they have fought before, and I'm just totally forgetting about it because it was it was eight years ago or something like that. Let's let's check through the record just to make sure we're not crazy here. No, yeah, they haven't fought before, but it's pretty pretty incredible that they haven't been matched up before because, uh, well, Guida did spend a lot of his career at 45, so it's not the most unbelievable thing. So, uh, Jim Miller is still, I'd say, the the better fighter of the two. He's still got a very nice straight left hand. Always had great boxing fundamentals he's got good takedowns great jujitsu great back takes and rear naked chokes that's really his bread and butter he's won both of his most recent fights against alex white and jason gonzalez by a rear naked choke so on the feet it, it comes down to i think the miller is is the better striker right now i think he's uh he's got the better defense i think that the the, the straight left hand of jim miller is going to be a big problem for guida in this southpaw versus orthodox matchup I could see Guida pressuring Miller and uh, outboxing him and the pressure adding up and uh, Guida running away with it on the scorecards because Guida's cardio and output is still very solid. But the way I see the fight going is Miller is going to be landing the harder shots on the feet. He's going to be tagging Guida with that straight left hand down the middle. And I think that Miller will be able to outstrike Guida on the feet. But really where Miller should have the big advantage is the the grappling. And even though Guida comes from that wrestling background and has uh, great defensive grappling, uh, great defensive wrestling, he has notoriously struggled with submissions. Most of his losses in his career has come by way of submission. And he just makes a a lot of mistakes in the cage still he fights very emotionally and uh untechnically at times and i think that miller is just the 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 higher iq fighter at this point i think he's the, uh, still got the better skills he's more technical more polished and i see it somewhere along the line guida making a mistake uh jim miller getting the takedown taking his back uh and getting the rear naked choke so i'm gonna pick miller to get it done um I just said Rinnick could choke, but I, I don't think that he will submit him. I think that Miller mixes it up uh, with the striking and the grappling and just uh, outworks uh, BJ, or excuse me, outworks Clay Guida for the 15 minutes, and the pick is going to be Jim Miller to get it done by decision. And in the main event of the evening in the welterweight division, we have Colby Covington, who is 14-1, taking on Robbie Lawler, who is 28-13. The opening betting line for this one was Covington minus 175, Lawler plus 135. Since then, more action coming in on Covington. He's now minus 245, Lawler plus 205. So I agree with the line movement in this one. 
it's it is a good matchup for Colby Covington. He was the former interim champion, has not fought since his fight with uh, Rafael de Sanjos around 13 or 14 months ago. He won that fight via unanimous decision. It was a great performance, but that fight was a lot closer than people remember. They uh, the first time I watched it, I thought it was. 49 46 colby the second time i watched it i was like oh yeah it's still 49 46 the second time uh it was i uh, maybe it could be 48 47 colby and it's just a lot closer fight than people expected because uh colby was pressuring rda and he was getting takedowns but rda was bouncing back to his feet he was landing the better strikes at distance and he was uh, RDA was actually landing some good strikes in the clinch while they were against the cage too. So that made it a lot closer fight than you think. Now, Colby did out hustle RDA. He was able to, to jockey for top position a little bit more. Was able to ride the back of RDA, get some takedowns and a little bit of top position, and ultimately win the rounds and the fight. His cardio and his pressure, his output looked great in that fight. It was a great performance, and I still do believe that Colby won the fight. But it was a lot closer than a lot of people remembered. And Colby, the fight before that again was against Damian Maya, a lot of different style fight where he was sprawling and brawling that fight where he was content to strike with Maya for a little bit because he was waiting for Maya's takedown. While Covington is usually the guy hitting his own offensive takedowns, he's not going to do that against Damian Maya because Damian Maya is a wizard on the ground. So he his game plan in that fight was to just strike with with Maya, wait for the takedown to come from Maya and sprawl and brawl, and that worked well. He lost round one. He was getting lit up with some punches in round one, got cut a little bit. But rounds two and three, Covington pushed up the pace. He was stuffing takedowns. He was landing ground and pound. And by the end of round three, Covington beat Damian Maia within an inch of his life. So a lot of people will bring up that point. Covington was getting touched by Damian Maia. Well, it's a it's a 100% different type of fight. He was content to strike with Maia, while he will not be content to strike with Robbie Lawler in this fight. So... um. And then another impressive performance I'm going to bring up of Covington was his fight against Brian Barberina, where Barberina is a good a guy with solid takedown defense and good cardio, and Covington just out-hustled him, repetitively took Barberina down, rode his back, and completely dominated Barberina in that fight. So Covington is a great fighter. I really like his style of fight, and I really think that he should be the one next in line for Kamaru Usman, and that prevents, or presents an incredible stylistic matchup because they both kind of have the same style. I think that Kamaru is just a little bit better at it and has the better striking of the two. Um but that's a, that's a different matchup for a different day. The, right now in front of him is Robbie Lawler, the former welterweight champion, one of the most violent fighters to ever fight in MMA. Got incredible striking, still good power on the feet. He's got pretty decent takedown defense. He is good at defending takedowns uh, at range. Like, uh, Excuse me. He's good at defending takedowns against the cage. He had some success defending takedowns against uh, Johnny Hendricks there. But when he's out in in the middle in the center of the octagon, he is uh, not so good at defending takedowns. Uh, and it's it's interesting because that is the opposite of RDA. RDA is good at defending takedowns in the center of the cage, and he kind of struggles against the cage. So that's why Colby decided to pressure RDA against the cage and try to take him down that way. While if Colby was smart, he would he would watch Lawler's takedown defense uh, versus against the cage versus at range and see that Lawler is uh, a little bit better against the cage. So maybe Colby will uh, look to mix up his takedown attempts or his takedown entries to this fight. 
Um, so Lawler's last fight was against Ben Askren, very notorious fight. Askren shot a sloppy single leg in the beginning of the fight. Lawler picked him up and slammed him on his head, landed huge ground and pound, and was seconds away from knocking Askren out, but... Askren recovered, held on to Lawler, cleared his head, was able to get back to his feet, and was able to push Robbie against the cage, and was able to get the, the, the body lock trip takedown, and he tried to get up right away, left his neck out, and that's when the infamous bulldog, bulldog controversial stoppage happened, but in my opinion... Lawler went out for a second there. Um, Askren had the choke locked in. It was a very dangerous position. Lawler's hand dropped in a very worrisome way, and RDA or Herb Dean, the referee, had to step in, in my opinion, for that fight. So that was a loss, a legitimate loss for Lawler in that fight. And it, it was weird because he had Askren hurt so so bad. At four minutes and thirty seconds, he was or left in the fight. He was smashing. Askren's face into the canvas with massive ground and pound and then not even 30 45 seconds later he was backed up against the cage and defending takedowns from Askren because Lawler has this nasty nasty tendency of backing himself up against the cage he has really done it uh, kind of throughout his entire career and he has really paid for it in the past few years you know he did it against tyron woodley tyron woodley cut him off and landed that knockout bomb he uh was constantly pressured against the cage versus rda and was outstruck outclinched outgrappled in that five round fight and he but that was eventually what led to his demise against Haskin. he got pushed against the cage taken down and choked out against the cage so lawler although he is uh, a very uh, notorious fighter he's one of the one of the best honestly one of the best fighters ever uh, in terms of just his aggression his will to fight his love of fighting he's just a true fighter's fighter and you gotta love and respect robbie lawler but don't let that distract you from the from the fact that the guy is a, a flawed fighter he does have have some some weaknesses the 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 worst being backing himself against the cage and and being put on his back and being uh, out grinded by wrestlers that has happened throughout his career and that's why colby covington is a nightmare matchup for him so um colby uh, i would be interested to see colby's uh, uh how he's going to approach the takedowns in this fight because if he pushes Lawler against the cage and he takes uh, Lawler down against the cage and gets the body lock and rides him out from top and does that typical Colby Covington style, I think he has a good chance of winning the fight that way. But I just think that he would be better off shooting uh, double legs, single legs, knee tap takedowns, something like that at range. Because you got to mix it up with Robbie Lawler. He comes from a good uh, good gym in Hard Knocks 365. His coaches are going to be watching tape left and right. And if Colby comes in here with the same type of takedown entries he did, he does always, Lawler is going to be prepared for them. He was prepared for Askren's sloppy uh, single leg entries, and he dr picked him up and dropped him on his head. So this fight is very, very interesting. It's going to be a close matchup. For the first two rounds, I see it being really close. And it really just decides on how Kobe uh, pursues the takedowns. Uh, 
a good idea from Robbie Lawler would be to keep his hands low the from the jump because he doesn't have to be too worried about uh, getting rocked from a punch versus Colby because Colby doesn't have the best striking and he certainly doesn't have the best power in his strikes. So if Robbie keeps his hands nice and low and starts attacking body punches early, this does one of multiple things. It, he has his hands low to defend the takedowns from Colby that are inevitably coming. It start. He's gonna start taking away some of the gas tank of Colby Covington because Covington can take a shot. He does have a pretty solid chin, and he would just keep coming forward nonstop for 25 minutes. His cardio is off the charts. But if you attack the body, you have a better chance at weakening his gas tank. And the uh, last but not least uh, of the the reason is that. He can avoid over swinging on on wild punches versus Colby Covington because Colby kind of likes when you when you swing wild because he'll level change off of the off of your your combinations of punches. So if Lawler isn't head hunting and swinging big bombs trying to knock Covington's head off, uh, and he's just digging into the body early, just taking you know small shots at the body, taking out that gas tank. That's a much better game plan, and it'll be easier for him to avoid the takedown of Colby. But the, this fight is only really close for the first two rounds, in my opinion, because Lawler has a short window to do damage to Colby at range. He's going to have to hurt Colby with a punch uh, on the feet. He's going to have to uh, hurt him with any type of strike because if Colby is able to start grappling, he's able to start pressuring and getting his game plan going, then, then Colby's going to run away with the fight. He's going to drain out Robbie Lawler's gas tank. He's going to continue to hit takedowns. He's going to be uh, in top position the entire time landing big ground and pound on on Robbie Lawler Colby's not really the typical type of grappler where he looks for standard top positions like side controller mount or going for uh getting the back taking your back going for submissions he likes ride like riding on top from very unique positions they're like wrestler positions where he'll take you down and he'll you know dagestani handcuff you and uh punch you in the face from top position with no hooks in he's got a very unique ground and pound style a very unique top position style so it's going to be a great fight. I really can't wait to see it. Uh, both of these guys are, you know, you know, incredible welterweights. Colby Covington coming off of that long layoff. Robbie Lawler coming off of that controversial stoppage versus Ben Askren. It's a great matchup. It's a great fight. I'm really looking forward to it. So the way uh, I see the path of victory I see for uh, Robbie Lawler is hurting Covington early, stuffing the shots early, and trying to land a strike that hurts Colby and trying to knock Colby out in the early rounds. The way Colby's going to do it is he's going to look to pressure right off the bat. He's going to look to put Lawler against the cage or look to take him down at range, look to put Lawler on his back, start getting top position, just grinding out Lawler. It's going to just make it an ugly, uh, could even possibly be a boring fight where he just rides out Lawler and Lawler stays tight defensively. He's constantly in the fight. He's not giving up, but he is just one step behind Colby Covington the entire fight. So that's probably the most likely scenario I see is that uh, Colby Covington wins by decision, and he's just gonna the margin of defeat is going to get bigger and bigger. I see round one being close and round two being less close, and Colby really starting to run away with it rounds three, four, and five because his cardio and his pace is just too too much to deal with, and I don't think that Lawler can deal with it at this point in his 
his career. Maybe three to four years ago when he was a champion and was on well, his incredible career resurgence. But if you look at what Lawler has done in the past few years, he got knocked out versus Woodley in 2016. He had a very close decision with uh, Donald Cerrone in 2017. He lost the uh, dominant decision to Dos Anjos in 17, and then he took all of 2018 off to recover his knee, and then came back versus Askren, had some early success early, but uh, was eventually finished in that fight too. So Lawler hasn't had too much uh, success lately in the octagon, and he is due for a win. Uh, he, he still looks very hungry. He looks in great shape. He looked absolutely shredded versus uh, Askren, but it still wasn't enough to stop him. Uh, and I see that being the case here. I think that Kobe will avoid the knockout early. He will start taking uh, Robbie Lawler down uh, early in the rounds, and, and just the, the top position, the ground to pound, the takedowns, they're going to add up, and I see uh, Colby Covington running away with the decision in this one. 49-46 is going to be the official prediction for uh, the main event in this one, but it's going to be a great fight. Robbie Lawler is certainly uh, a live dog in this one. Where the where the the money line value is at right now, it's going to be a pass on both ends. Uh, the play for me was Robbie Lawler inside the distance at plus 300 because i think that lawler has really little chance of winning a decision at all i think uh if lawler wins this fight it is by knockout so lawler inside the distance plus 300 that's a good line i, I got that early i don't think it's it's as good of a line right now lawler by tko is plus 325 right now on five dimes so that's a solid line um I'm really looking forward to the fight. I'm picking Colby Covington by decision, and uh, that is going to do it for the 12-fight breakdown. But one thing I want to mention before I get going is DraftKings because I have been getting into DraftKings lately. I've done it for, I think, the past three or four events, and I've won on all three or four events too, so I've been really enjoying it. It's a little bit different than your traditional betting, and I'm just going to go over the um, – my, my salaries for this card so my first lineup i got going on uh we're going to start with the most expensive fighters i'm picking scott holtzman as a 9300 salary i think that he will get the finish on dung young ma and if he doesn't he should put on a dominant high scoring performance otherwise we got colby covington at the nine thousand dollar salary i think uh he will put on a dominant decision he's likely to hit a ton of takedowns and he's able liable to land a lot of ground to pound as well uh, possibly even get a, a late finish if he's able to uh, accumulate damage. Uh, for the uh, $8,600 salary, we got Antonina Shevchenko. Uh, I'm picking her to land a lot of strikes in the clinch and uh, at range and just outstrike Pudilova to a decision. For the $8,000 price tag, we got Matt Schnell. I think that he has a great chance at finishing Espinosa. And even if he doesn't, he should put up some good numbers in a close competitive decision. 7900 we got Mickey Gall. I think that's a really great price for him. Uh, I think that she does certainly have the chance at shitting the bed, making it a low output decision, possibly even getting knocked out by Tuhari. But the most likely path to victory for Mickey Gall, I see, is the submission. Um, so I like his price at $7,900. And lastly, I got... Uh, Joaquim Silva at 7100 and that's a great salary. I think that he is uh, a very live dog. I think he has a, a decent chance at finishing um, Nasrat Hakrapas in this one, and that's why I like him at the price that he's at. Um, going over uh, some of the other salaries of the people, uh, Claudio Silva at 9400 
I wouldn't I wouldn't tell you to stay away from that that play because he probably will get the submission but I think Holtzman is just much more likely to deliver on the points uh Nasrat I would not pay that 9100 although he is liable to rack up a lot of points uh just outboxing Silva in this one uh I just don't like his price I I think because I think Silva has a good chance of pulling off the upset Jim Miller 8900 that's a little too steep for me I think he has a chance at only putting up maybe 40 50 60 points in a decision victory over Guida although he could get the finish and his price could pay off um let's see I'll go through and uh Hannah Goldie um she I, I total pass on her at 8800 I I do not see her paying off that price tag at all same with Mara Romero Barella at 8700 I do not see her paying off that price tag even if she wins she might win by submission and she might put pay off that tag but I see her grinding out top position with takedowns and ground and pound and not not being worth 8700 Giles don't trust him for 8500 don't think he has a great chance of finishing he might but just don't like the price tag Stosic uh 8400 uh, I don't I don't actually I don't knock Giles or Stosic they're decent plays for 85 and 8400 but uh, don't love them. Uh, Tuhari total pass at 83. Espinosa total pass at 82. Um, and Zetchiku total pass at 78. He's not going to put up anything. Mearshart total pass. Uh, yeah, I think he loses his fight. Uh, and, uh, um, Granger at 7400. That's a great price tag. I think she has a great chance of pulling off the upset. Uh, pass on Guida. Pass on Lawler. Pass on Murphy. Uh, pass on uh, Ma. And of course, pass on Cole Williams. So. Uh, maybe I'll get more into DraftKings, uh, start analyzing that a little more, maybe uh, incorporating it into all of my breakdowns. But for now, I'm just breezing through uh, at the end just to uh, just to give you guys uh, my thoughts on the my quick thoughts on the DK this week. So uh, that's gonna do it for episode 70 of the Martian MMA podcast. Hope you all enjoy the podcast. Hope you all enjoy the car from Newark this weekend, and I will see you all next week before UFC Uruguay. Peace. Thank you.